0: Hi all. Thanks so much for watching Making Healthcare Work for You, Different Perspectives and Empowering Solutions. I'm Stephanie Fields, joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoorv Gupta, and today we're welcoming by Dr. Zev Newworth, who is the author of Beyond the Walls and Reframe Healthcare and the host of Creating a New Healthcare Podcast. Thanks so much for being here.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, Apoorv.
0: So in our pre-interview, the theme of this was There were a couple. One, we need to humanize healthcare. There needs to be a healthcare system, not an industry. So with that, why are all of these, everybody within the industry, to use your term, so invested in just treating people when they're sick? Because we don't have a birth rate in the United States to sustain a system where they're just treating people who are ill. When we're all dead, what are we going to do? We need to start advancing fertility rates so that they could keep up with keeping people sick and treating them. So why is it when we know that people are going to die, their patients are going to go away. Why aren't we invested in keeping people well, allowing them to live longer so we can help them longer and and essentially profit longer?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, Stephanie, I think you're raising two issues here. One is you know, we—I think—we all started out with good intentions in this industry, which is around taking care of the sick and people who've had trauma. I think what's happened is the industry has really um, gone off kilter, and so you, you know, and it, and again, it is the profit motive. It, it you know, we are a capitalist society, and so you know, uh, you're rewarded for. You know for you know bringing value in in the way that value is perceived and so you know the disease model is a incredibly profitable lucrative model and and by the way let's just you know it does good i mean it, it does help people it does uh you know uh save lives so it's it's not that the disease model or what people call sick care is bad in in any way shape or form it's just it's 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 off balance. Um, and and you know one can make even there's two arguments around that and behind what I just said. One is, and, you just you just said it. the economic perspective, it's 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 unsustainable. you, you know, more and more people in our society in America and across the globe are are getting chronic disease, right? Now, I think it's something like fifty percent of Americans have one chronic disease, Yeah. And one out of every two Americans has a chronic disease. And when you get to be over 65, um, one out of two have two or more chronic diseases. Um, It's something like 80 to 90% of of all seniors have a chronic disease. Um, And and actually 80 to 90%, uh, depending on which segment of the population you're looking at, but 80 to 90% of all the healthcare spend in the United States of America is on chronic disease. And it's, it's just exploding because the population is getting older and they're getting sicker, you know, diabetes is expl- exploding, hypercholesterol, high blood pressure, um, you know, and then, of course, the subsequent uh, obesity, the subsequent, you know, down uh, downward sequelae of of strokes and heart attacks and musculoskeletal problems. So, you know, it is, it is actually a course which makes no sense if we're just focused on getting better and better and better at doing one thing, which is treating chronic disease. If you look at it from an economic perspective, you know, it's really simple math. You have an increasing population that is sick that every year costs more and more money and they cost more and more money as they get old. When you add that all up, when you multiply all that up, it is a unsustainable cost. And the only thing that makes sense to do now is to start to prevent disease because there's no way we're going to dig ourselves out of that hole economically by getting better at treating disease. We actually, actually have to prevent it. And that's that, that, you know, and again, this is about a balance. It's not, it's about widening the aperture, not negating anything we're doing, but starting to divert some resources to actually, because that is the, you know, and again, I'm not the only one who's said this. There's been great work by Deloitte where they've looked at actuarial models and we could save literally 25% of healthcare costs by starting to divert some of our resources to wellness.
2: Yeah, Zev, you kind of laid that out so nicely. And and actually I'm tempted to go down two different paths based on what we were previously discussing. Uh, One is is what you were talking about really so eloquently about all the uh, biases inherent within, within the healthcare industry and how that's led us here. Uh, and and actually, maybe let's just start there. Uh, I think you you had such an interesting insight into all the different challenges uh, that are sort of structural. And I hate to now call it system, because you have already educated us about how it's not a system. Uh, so maybe you can educate our audience a little bit about that and then how that, that leads into your thesis of how we're going to overcome this.
1: Yeah, so just to you know for for the listeners you know what i was sharing is that we have an we have a huge and growing and booming industry in healthcare what we don't have is a system of healthcare and let's not equate the two an industry does not make a system and what the american public need desperately is a healthcare system so we have to figure out how to redirect the industry so that it actually is incented to create a system of healthcare. Cause that's, what's, that's, what's missing. And that's what we need. And I, I think for me, and I wrote about this and beyond the walls after, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of in-depth interviews with people who are, are really focused on creating a system. What, what I distilled was that there are three domains and, um, there's there's a uh, a digital tech uh, strategy. There's a business model strategy, and we might even call them revolutions because they're so powerful and they're moving so fast and they're changing. And the third one, which I think is the one that needs to be guiding the other two, is what I would call the humanism revolution. And you know, the way I see it is that, digital and technology as well as business model are powerful enablers but humanism is the strategy that we have to be driving to and if we if we don't um i think we're heading towards you know potentially a very very dystopian and cataclysmic future in healthcare and i've heard lots of experts talk about the fact that something something terrible could and is likely to happen and and what I've what I've discovered is the way we could avert that from happening is an, is using these two powerful enablers to actually uh, plot a course to a more humanistic healthcare system. And I'm happy to explain, you know, very very specifically what I mean by humanism.
2: I think we should probably jump in right there. Uh, although just before that, maybe you could also preface your answer with the, do you in which direction do you see the the. Uh, the flow working, is it humanism needs to inform the business model and the technology so that those are better, you know, um, uh, able to serve the, the, the needs of humanity? Or is it that the, uh, the business models and technology have so kind of adulterated, you know, the way in which we uh, interact with each other that that's what's creating the problem? So I'd love to hear that preface of yours as well. And then please would, would love to hear your thoughts on what that humanism really needs to look like
1: yeah i i think you know i think it all boils down to i mean you know fundamentally it's 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 you know what is the you know what are we incented to do and so uh, you know right now again i think we we've just gone off kilter and off balance and i think i i think we need you know i mean here's what it comes down to a perv. if you you know it, it, this is the fundamental issue of our time and i think this is probably goes way beyond healthcare but the fundamental issue is leadership Right. And so there's no there's no other way to put it. Um, and by leadership, I don't mean leaders, because we have some amazing leaders in healthcare. I mean, they're smarter than I, I, I'm ever going to be. They're more eloquent. They're more sophisticated. Um, they're more skillful. They're amazing. They're passionate. I, I mean, they have we have we have some great leaders. What we don't have is great leadership. Um, and we need a new type of leadership, which I've been, again, I've been exploring for years now and and really, you know, I, I don't talk about this often, but I spend a lot of time studying leadership a lot. um and um probably, you know, almost as much time as i as I do studying healthcare and the the type of leadership I am talking about is is a leadership that is tr- truly mission-driven, truly purposeful. Um, you know, really focused on, on, you know, what is the meaning of what we're doing? You know, others have written about this. There's, there's a great book um, about called the infinite game that came from a professor and Simon Sinek uh, picked up on it and wrote another book about the infinite game. But the the question is, are we here to win the short game? Are we here for our short-term profits for my three to five to seven years as a CEO or in the C-suite um, you know, continuing to, to do what I, I need to do to win? Or are we here in large part so that what we hand over when we are finished with our job, with our time is, is actually generative, actually sets up the next generation not to dig themselves out of a deeper hole because that's what we've left, right? Let's let's not kid ourselves. We have left the future leaders a much deeper hole than we were handed um and and the question is, are we going to help, you know, um solve the problem um uh, and actually hand something that's better um and 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 allow the game to continue? That's what the infinite game's about. It, it's about participating in the game so that the game can continue and playing the game for the future. and um and 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 that's the type of leadership. Um, and fundamentally, it is about a leadership, which is focused on, on humanism and um and despite the fact that i think a lot of leaders want that and talk about that when you look at what they're doing and what their organizations are doing i think you you find it hard when you actually dig underneath the rhetoric and look at where their resources are going how they are bonused how their executives are bonus when you look underneath that I think it's hard, at least for me, to reconcile the rhetoric with the reality. And, and again, I don't I, I don't like being critical because I have such respect and admiration for the people in healthcare, including the administrators and, and executives in healthcare. Uh, I'm just in awe of, of their potential, but I I don't see that potential moving in the right direction. And that's about leadership as opposed to leaders. And and again, happy to jump in with you know what that looks like because I have hundreds and hundreds of examples of the leadership I'm talking about, very specifically in different areas of healthcare, from women's health to you know, the aging and the elderly to wellness and prevention to mental health. That's what I've been doing for 10 years is studying these positive deviants um, that have taken a different route and um, and really reconciled the business and the technology with the humanism.
0: What are some of the things that you've seen those positive deviants do? Because if we have to start, I I actually think it's pretty interesting that you are saying that we need to start with leadership because that's something that I feel like most people aren't saying, probably because the people who are in control of that are the leaders. And again, change isn't fun. So I think that's interesting because that's a hard group to motivate. So what are those people who are doing it well, those positive deviants within leadership, Doing that are making it work that give you hope for the system. Yeah,
1: and and you raised. Uh, I'll answer that question. You raised another issue, which is how do we make the change happen? Which that's a whole other issue, but um, but I I think the so let me give you an example. Let's, let's get really concrete. So, um, let's talk about ageism in our healthcare system, um, the bias or, or the lack of recognition of, of about the aged. So you know think about this if you're an 85 year old and you just came out of the icu uh for a pneumonia which is not uncommon and you're you know not you know sort of an average 85 years old maybe you have six seven eight medical problems which is not atypical maybe you're on 10 to 12 medications which is not atypical Maybe you've had some mini strokes. You, you, you know, your balance isn't great. You know, maybe you have muscular weakness, you're hard of hearing, you're in a wheelchair. You go into that same doctor's office. You get wheeled into that same doctor's office, that same exam room with the same staff and the same protocols and the same resources as a 35-year-old who walks in right after you or right before you with maybe some mild hypercholesterolemia. Same doctor, same staff, same resources, same compensation, same everything. In what world does that make any sense? There is no way that that physician, that provider with their staff, with the resources they have that, that are built for some sort of generic 35, 45, 50 years, that they're going to be able to take care of that older, sicker person. And so a few leaders realize that over the past couple of decades. And so one example I, I use a lot, which I think is, is just an amazing example, and I'm not the only one that thinks that, um, is Chanmed. And there's just one of many. I could cite many examples. But here's here's the story. Here's a, a physician, a primary care physician in Miami who was taking care of a sicker, older population. Um, they were a minority you know, group his, his, where he lived and his patients. And he realized that know doing it in that in that way made no sense so he decided that he and his and actually his family the chen family decided they were going to do it differently and so now watch what happened because they they did exactly what i'm talking about in the book they used the business model change and they used the digital and technology in service of humanism so they said the only way we're going to take care of these really sick or older poor patients is the doctor number one cannot take care of 2000 patients a typical panel you get 400 patients, and those are your patients. You are going to treat them like family. You're going to give them your phone number. You're going to give them your cell number. You're going to give them, you know, your beeper number. You, you're going to treat them with love and dignity and respect, just like this was your mother or father or aunt or uncle. That was number one. Number two, we're not going to use the generic electronic medical record system, which is a billing system. We We are fundamentally, we are going to actually create our own digital technology that is focused on one thing, which is taking care of the older, sicker population. And that's what they did. In fact, they did it to such an extent that they formed a digital tech company called Curity. They actually have a parallel company. It has been voted as one of the best mid-sized technology companies in America, repeatedly. So they built a whole new technology to actually make elder care possible. And then embedded in that technology, they said, listen, we're not going to expect the doctors to remember all these protocols, like all the medications, the, 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 the complications you get with different combinations of medications, all the algorithms of care. We're going to take state-of-the-art evidence-based medicine, and we're going to keep it up to date. And we're going to actually embed it in the technology to help the doctor have the answers in real time without having to spend hours every day looking it up. On top of that, we're going to have a team around the doctor so that the doctor actually has nurses and social workers and pharmacists literally on site uh, dealing with all the unique needs of the elderly. On top of that, we're going to have specialists that rotate through, cardiologists and pulmonologists and rheumatologists that actually give the doctor so they don't have to send the patient out, wait for weeks before the patient comes back. No, real-time answers from subspecialists. On top of that, they realize that loneliness is one of the biggest epidemics in the elderly. So after five o'clock, they convert their waiting room into a social hall and they bus their patients in at nights and out weekends and have dance parties and bingo and stuff like that, because they realize that that is a huge killer of the elderly is loneliness and isolation. So they constructed a whole system around one thing. And again, the principle there, by the way, from a marketing perspective is called segmentation. It works in every other industry. You cannot be everything for everyone, everywhere, all the time. Then you become nothing for no one. And so they developed, and again, remember what I said, the digital technology, boom. The business model, let me just say, so their business model is Medicare Advantage. Decades ago, they realized that fee-for-service wasn't going to allow them to pay for all the things they need, home care services, all those things. So they said, "No, what, we're going to get capitated payment. We're gonna take a lump sum every month for every patient, which is risk adjusted based on how sick the patients are. And we're gonna take that money and use it to develop a system of care. So our goal at ChenMed is, and it's not just ChenMed, it's many others like ChenMed. Our goal is not that patients, we're gonna do more, You know what we want is to prevent patients from going into the EDs, prevent these elderly people from going to the hospitals, prevent them from needing the sick care Really try to, to upfront proactively take care of them, and the only way we can really do that is if we get payment upfront, so we can invest that money in the digital technology, in all that enablement, all the time and effort. And that gives that is a very very concrete example. So when I say humanism, I'm not talking about some eth- ethereal philosophy. I'm talking about again, I have hundreds and hundreds of these examples when it comes to the elderly, when it comes to women's health, when it comes to caregivers. Um, you know, it, it, when it comes to disparities of care, all these isms, racism, sexism, ageism, ableism, classism, industrialism, all of those reductionisms are being supplanted by a new type of leadership that is focused on humanism.
0: That's amazing. We're big fans of ChenMed. We interviewed their national director of primary care, Faisal Syed, and he was oh. fantastic just like you said the level to which they care about their people is unparalleled and so i love how you were talking about the different basically verticals you said all of the isms sound like an opportunity for a vertical. so that's pretty amazing
2: zev i mean it's even hard for me to think of a follow-on question to what you just said because i just love uh, what you what you had to say but I, I, think, I guess i'll go back to a question that stephanie was posing and zev you alluded to as well as well you know before that question i think you were saying well we need leadership and yet there are great leaders, but not enough leadership. And unfortunately, you're seeing things heading in the wrong direction. Yet you're painting such an amazing picture of what can be done when, you know, the right leader, you know, harnesses the power of the technology and the business model. So but my question back to you here is: What can be done to develop more such leaders? Is it a training program? Is it, you know, kind of more role modeling? Is it, you know, the the way in which they're compensated? What are your thoughts around why we aren't going in the right direction there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I suspect your your responses are as good if not better than mine, um, and I, I'd be curious what other people, as you're asking that question, I hope that the listeners are actually asking themselves that question um if i had the answer i i probably would be doing it you know i do think it's it's it is a couple of things one is and and this is i'm i'm i am actively struggling with this thought right now so this you're you're seeing me at the raw edge of of where i am in my own journey if you will i think number one incentives are critical you you, if you get paid to to not see something, if you get paid to not do something, you're not going to do it. Very few people can fight that fight. You know, we have to make a living. We have to pay for our bills. You know, we, we have to pay for our children. We have to pay, I mean, the electricity. I mean, we have to pay for all these things. So I think payment compensation incentive is critical. Where that gets changed, you know, is probably from the payers themselves, right? The employers that pay for healthcare. The employees that pay for health care, right, that the employers slash employees pay for about 40 percent of all the health care expenditure in the country. And the federal government and state governments pay for you know another 30, 35 percent. That's that's a significant percentage. So I do think some of the pressure has to come from the actual payers of care. Um, So I do think there is sort of a a public. Outcry. There's a public response that needs to happen here, and we we could get into that. Um, I I I think fundamentally it it really does come to you have to you have to change the game. Now, having said that, I also believe. You know, as I talk to leaders in healthcare systems, and I mean, whether it's pharmaceutical companies or insurance carriers or hospital systems or provider groups or medical device manufacturers uh, the people are are good people and you know and i think they're trying but you know you know i maybe we do maybe you know approve maybe the for me right now the answer is is what we're doing here actually this is the answer right now we're on the edge of i think you and stephanie and i and others We're on the edge of trying to create a new narrative. If you really, if you want to, I think if we, if we sat down and said, just forget about healthcare, forget about the big, what are we trying to do? We're here right now. What are you doing here right now? Stephanie, what are you doing? Uh, You know, what am I doing, Zeb? And I think the answer is talking. And let's remind ourselves that there is nothing that's ever happened in the history of humanity that didn't start out with a dialogue and I think that's what we're doing is we're raising awareness we are trying to fundamentally create a new counter narrative in a very dominant narrative and that's huge if we can paint the picture of a new reality a poor and Stephanie if we can do that together um the technical aspects will follow Right. It'll all follow. I think our hardest picture right now is how do we create a new story and what does it look like and how convincing and compelling is it? And the more people we have that are on board with it. I think the actual technical aspects of the business model and the payment and the technology, I think all that stuff will come easily. Our fight right now is the fight for the for the heart and for the mind.
0: Amazing. What a way to close the show. That was fantastic. Thank you so much for being here. This was a wonderful conversation.
1: Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sam.
0: And thank you all for watching. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.